Um, hey, this is the continuation of exciting weekend. You can read all about it in the letter that I've written in the insert of your bulletin tonight. At 5 p.m., we will be um, ordaining two elders, Eugene Kwok and Chris Lee, um, men um, just dearly loved by our congregation, dearly loved by God who have proven themselves faithful. Uh, it's going to be a really exciting time, 5 o'clock in here. Um, can you just look to someone and say, I'll see you there? Can you do that? <laughs> All right, praise the Lord. Hey, uh, last night I was at a wedding. Um, some of you were there as well. Um, we had a couple in our church, two members who have been faithfully serving the Lord, um, Monica and Titus Kim. So Monica is now Monica Kim. I'm not sure if they're here, but um, I was at their wedding, and uh, late in the evening, uh, there was a time where some of their friends would uh, kind of talk about them. And so um, Josh Kim, I'm not sure if he's here or not either, but Josh Kim, who is the younger brother of Titus Kim, uh, was sharing about his brother. What makes my brother special? And one of the things he said was, my brother Titus has this unique ability to be able to love me in these small ways that mean a lot to me. And one of the things he said was, the way that, uh, the way that Titus does that is, like, when, when I'm happy about something, like, Titus is happy with me and for me. When I cry, uh, he's able to, to cry with me. Uh, when I'm angry, he gets angry at the things that I get angry about. And I, I thought about that because that was something that was so significant to Josh as he talked about his brother Titus. And I thought about the times where I felt the things that, that Josh felt. And I asked myself, why is it that that was so important? Like, why did that mean so much to Josh? And I can only think that it's because of the law of supply and demand, in a sense, right? We all have a desire for someone to not only identify with the emotions and the feelings within our hearts, but also to enter into those places and to say, yeah, you know what? Um, I feel that with you. When we're, when we're having a hard time, we don't want someone to look at us with eyes glossed over and say, you know what? That stinks and move on. We want someone to be able to say, you know what? That really stinks. I understand why you would feel that way, and I'm here with you. When we're crying, we don't want someone to turn a blind eye to it. We want them to put their arm around us and to, and to cry with us. And, and when we come and celebrate something, we have something exciting to share. This often happens when, when people come back from mission trips, and they've had this exciting experience, and they've encountered God, and they've seen these things, and the kingdom of God has gone forth, and they've seen demons flee, and they've seen the, the, the angels come down. They have this excitement, and they come back, and, and people are like, dude, how was your mission trip? And they start unloading all of the great things they did, and people are like, yeah, I didn't want to know all that. Have you ever had times like that when you were so excited about something, and the person that you hoped would be that excited for you ended up not being all that excited? We all have a desire to be validated in the feelings of our heart, to not only have someone identify, but to move into those places. The law of supply and demand says we all want that, but it's actually in pretty short supply. A lot of us have felt the disappointment of being up here and having another person meet us, not meet us up there, but be down here, and vice versa. Why is that? Well, I don't know why it is, but I did read a study, okay, recently came out. 14,000 people were interviewed, studied, part of this experiment, and it just recently ended. A man named Craig Grishel cites it, and he said, and I don't know how they quantified this, but they said 14,000 people did this long-term study, and they said that our world today is 40% less compassionate, empathetic, able to understand the emotions of other people were 40% less able to do that than a generation before. 
Again, I don't know how you can quantify, you, you know what, you're about 40% less compassionate than you were when we got married. Or, hey, you know what, you're about 40%, I don't know how they did that, but they did. Now, that's not important. Here's what's important. The study found three reasons why that could be the case here in 2021 as opposed to then in 1990. Three reasons why we have a difficult time being able to enter into that emotional space with other people. The first thing is this. We are a self-centered people. In this selfie-obsessed world, we didn't have that word selfie a decade ago. When the world is a selfie, that's weird. Or selka, like that's weird stuff. Like who talks about things like that? A selfish generation does. Hello. It's a self-centered generation that says, hey, you know what? Um, I, I will turn my phone on to myself and take pictures of myself. If you were frozen in time in 1990, like Han Solo or Encino Man, in 1990 you're frozen in time and then you were thawed in the year 2021, you would be shocked at how many pictures on the internet there are of people taking pictures of themselves. And you see their arm in the picture. Like, wow, they're taking pictures of themselves. Like, how many of us, the majority of the pictures that we post for other people to see, like, one, I'd be shocked at how many pictures of myself I would find on my phone, for one, but then number two, how many pictures of, uh, that I would find on social media that I posted of myself. Like, that's crazy. Like, we do stuff like that. Taking pictures of ourselves, this is weird, isn't it? But that's what we do, and when a self-obsessed world makes it very difficult for us to think outside of ourselves. And when we become the center of life, then we oftentimes think that we deserve better than other people. And so when other people aren't doing well, it's hard for us to identify with that because I'm just better than them, number one. Number two, we have a lot less personal interaction with each other, right? We are a world in which, yeah, we can worship online. We can work from home. We can have complete conversations with random people on our phones without ever seeing someone face-to-face. And when we have limited personal interaction, there's limited ability to empathize with other people, number two. Number three, okay, number three, we have become desensitized to suffering in our world because of the way that we intake news. 30 years ago, the way that we got our news was we would turn on channel four, five, seven, or nine, and we would watch a show called The News, which was... 30 minutes long, and there would be anywhere from 10 to 20 different stories that would come on one story at a time. And we would see that this thing happened, and that thing happened, and that thing happened, and our minds would be devoted to it unless we walked away from it. Now the way that we get news is we go on our news app, or we go on whatever news thing of choice, and we could literally scroll through 20 stories in 20 seconds, even less than that. And each of them are taking up equal real estate within our minds. So you could read about the murder senseless murder of a person in a local neighborhood and scroll right through that to get to the newest mac and cheese recipe that you see on your news feed. And then you could go and you could hear about the NFL player who was suspended because he forged his COVID vaccination card. And then you could read about the celebrity who passed away of cancer. And then you could watch another video about cats right after that. And all of these are taking up equal space within our minds, within our hearts. And so we become desensitized to the brokenness in the world because the loss of countless lives because of tornadoes in the Midwest and in the South, well, it's just another thing to read, just like we read about this new basketball shoe that came out. As a result, this study says 
and maybe anecdotally you know that it's true also, that we are a lot less compassionate and a lot less able to enter into the suffering of people in our lives. But when we see it, we realize, holy cow, this person is worth their weight in Bitcoin. Why? Because it's rare in our world. There is a woman named Elizabeth who was able to do that, and we're going to look into her life. We started a series last week called Three Wise Women. As we look at three women in the true story of the first Christmas who showed their wisdom, not in what they know, but in the way that they lived life. And the call is that wise men and women still follow the child born on Christmas Day. And I want to invite us to do that. We're going to look at Luke chapter 1. Here's what we saw about Elizabeth last week. We saw that she was old, okay? She was not just old, but the commentaries say she was mad old, okay? In the Greek, what it says, okay, this is not really Greek, but this is what my Greek scholars, RTS seminarians Josiah Cha and Hesushin told me. They said in the Greek, she was so old that she knew Burger King when Burger King was just a burger prince, okay? That's how old she was. She was mad old. And here's the problem with being not just that she was old, but she didn't have any kids. That was really, 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 really bad in those days. And so God enrolled her in a course called Wisdom 101. And in that class, I caught a fly. In that, oh, I let it go. In that class, she learned, okay, that in this broken world, you will not live a problem-free life. Number one and number two, she learned, okay, she learned to trust in the will and the plan of God, even when it feels like she's been forgotten by God. So here she is. She's now in her second trimester. She's rubbing her belly, singing, all I want for Christmas is you. And she's got her child growing inside of her, okay? She's in her uh, second trimester, about five, six months pregnant. And as she's rubbing her belly, she's about to learn another lesson, Wisdom 201. This is what we see in the next chapter of the true story. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 45. This is what we see. It says, in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth. Okay, this is about 100 miles away from the hill country of Judea where Elizabeth is. Okay, God sent the angel Gabriel 100 miles over to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who were highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Mary, you found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son. You're to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High God. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since... I'm a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month for nothing is impossible with God. I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you'll bear. Why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? 
soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. This is the word of God. So here's, Mary, uh, here's Elizabeth. She's sitting at home awaiting the birth of her child. And in that same span of time, the same angel that visited her, Gabriel, flies over 100 miles away. I don't know how he did it or flew, whatever it is, visits Mary in the sleepy town of Nazareth, town in Galilee. And here, Elizabeth, a wise aged woman, would begin to enter into the next level wisdom, wisdom 201. And what I want to bring out from here, just two things, very simple. Okay, what is, what is wisdom? Okay, wisdom is being able to rejoice with those who rejoice and to mourn with those who mourn. Okay. Wisdom, again, is not what you know. It's how you live. And this is the way that the wise live. They're able to rejoice. How is this? If you look in your Bible, okay, if you look in your Bible, and this is why part of the reason why uh, we want you to bring your Bibles, okay, not just look at it on the screen. You look at your Bible. It says, starting in verse 5, in the beginning of verse 5, it says, the birth of John the Baptist foretold, and then right after that, it says, the birth of Jesus foretold. Mary visits Elizabeth, Mary's song, the birth of John the Baptist before 57, and then chapter 2 begins the birth of Jesus. So you see, Luke, the author, is juxtaposing these two birth narratives, the announcement and the birth of John the Baptist and then Jesus. Okay, so these things are being held in parallel, right, holding these in uh, tension in both hands. So here, think about Elizabeth, okay? She's, she's been praying for a long, 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 long time for a baby. And year after 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 year, nothing, nothing, nothing. Okay, pregnancy test after test after test after test, nothing, nothing. And then all of a sudden, six months earlier, an angel comes to her husband and says, you know what, your wife is going to be pregnant. And so she is on cloud nine. Not only that, but the Messiah that you've been waiting for for centuries, not that she's that old, but that your people have been waiting for for centuries, is about to come. And so here she is in the, just the high point of her life. She's waiting three months away from the birth of her child, the hopes and dreams, the answer to all of her prayers. The angel, if you see this, has visited Elizabeth and said, oh my gosh, Elizabeth, this is amazing. Okay, this is amazing. Your child is going to be born in the most awesome of ways. Okay, your old, barren body is going to bear a child. And then you flip over verses later, and you see a more amazing announcement that comes to Mary. <laughs> Mary, you're going to have an amazing birth also. Okay, not just you're old and barren, but you're a virgin. You're 14-year-old. You're a teenager. You don't have any. You haven't, you haven't been with a dude before. Like, you're going to have a baby. Holy cow. So you got a great thing here happening to Elizabeth. Then you got an even better thing happening to, to, to Mary. Okay, that's kind of the way it is. Hey, you know what? Dude, Elizabeth, your child, he's going to be an awesome guy. You know what? Of all the people born in the world, he's going to be the best. He's going to be awesome. He's going to be a great man. He's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from your, from your, from your belly. He's going to be an awesome man. And then you go to Mary and you say, you know what? But Mary, Mary's son is going to be even more awesome. Like, he's going to be even better. He's going to be amazing. Okay, he's going to be born. He's going to be like part God. Like God, I'm going to say, he's going to be God, like the son of God. This is amazing. And then you've got, but hey, you know what, uh, Elizabeth, your kid, he's going to have an amazing mission. You know what he's going to do? He's going to be the forerunner for the Messiah. He's going he's to 
clear the path so that the Messiah that we've been waiting for is going to come. He's going to be, an, he's got an awesome mission. And then you go to Mary and you go, you know what? But, but Mary's, Mary, your, your child, his mission is going to be even better. <laughs> he is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. He is the Savior of the world. Do you, you understand what's going on here? Elizabeth has this like great thing happen to her. She's on cloud nine and then she finds out that Mary's going to have a little bit better life than hers. Like the son of Mary is going to say to the son of Elizabeth, anything you can do, I can do better. So what is Elizabeth feeling? How is she thinking? Very interesting. I, I read about this church that did a vacation Bible school, like a summer Bible program. They did this vacation Bible school, and as the children were registering for their VBS, they had to write on their registration form, what is your favorite candy? Hey, what's your favorite candy? What their favorite candy. First day of VBS comes, and they're all seated. Uh, they get their registration packet. They get a bag, and they look inside their bag, and lo and behold, every one of these kids got their favorite candy bar in there. Hey, this is a great VBS. See, the kid said, I, my favorite thing is Skittles. He looks in his bag, and he's got Skittles. Favorite thing is Snickers, opens it up, and there's Snickers in there. Favorite thing is, is uh, I don't know, those cowtail caramel things, writes that on there. They find, he finds it in, and he's so excited. So everyone is so excited. We got what we wanted, giving each other high fives or hugging each other. Oh, my gosh, what candy did you get? What candy did you get? I got Mars. I got Milky Way. I got Almond Joy. You actually wrote Almond Joy. That's crazy. But, hey, you got that. That's awesome. You love it. Everyone is, they're, they're loving it. Then they come and they sit down. VBS, the leader gets up there like, hey, how many guys are excited to be here? Yeah, we're excited to be here. Uh, who's excited for VBS? Yeah, I'm excited for VBS. Who's excited for candy? Yeah, I'm excited for candy. Who's not excited to be here? Nobody, right? Nobody. Everyone's excited to be there. Why? Because they got the candy that they wanted. They're with the people. So everything is going great in life, right? Then the leader says, now I want everyone to dump out your bag onto the floor. And so the kids dump out their bags. They're like, yeah, dumping out their bags. And all of a sudden, these kids are looking around. They're like, dude, how come, she, how come Eliana's got three Snickers and I only have one? How come Nathan's got two bags of Skittles and I just got one fun-sized bag of Skittles? How come I got like the Halloween version of Three Musketeers and they got like the whole whole regular size three musketeers. All of a sudden, because they'd given different people different amounts, the people who are completely content and happy in life, all of a sudden were like, dude, life is not fair. VBS stinks. I want to go home right now. This is the worst VBS I've ever been to in my life. And they were completely fine until they began comparing their lives with other people. It's a pretty huge statement, isn't it? How many of you would be fine if you hadn't been comparing your life to other people? <laughs> You're so excited because you got a, you got a new car. Right? You got your first new car. You got your Toyota Camry LE edition, and you're like loving life. Oh, my gosh, this is great. And then you start posting on Facebook or social media, your Instagram or TikTok, having you in your Camry riding, and you're like so cool. Like you're so excited. And then you scroll down your feed and your friend has gotten a new car also. They got a Camry also. Same color as mine, but what the heck? They got the XLE or the SE or the hybrid version. And you're like, oh my gosh. Like life was so awesome. Like I love this car, my first new car, but, but, but now like maybe I should have gotten that version of it. Or you're so excited because you got a, a, a girlfriend or a boyfriend and you're super excited and you're ready to show your friends, guys, guys, hey, I came back from winter break and look, I got a new boyfriend, a girlfriend, and he's showing everybody. They're like, hey, I went, to, I went to this retreat for winter break and I got a new boyfriend, a girlfriend too, check it out. And, and you look at it, ooh, dude, how come like their boyfriend, girlfriend look better than mine? 
hold up, they got a job? Like, mine don't got a job yet. They still looking. Wait, where'd you get that new sweater? Wait, she bought that for you. I just got, I just got slippers. Like, and you're all, everything was going great until you started comparing yourself to somebody else. What happens when the person in your circle of friends begins to have what you have plus one? They got what you got and one. What do you, what do you, what do, you do then? Here comes Elizabeth. She's just chilling, loving life. I got my baby. He's coming in three months. I didn't have many mornings, much morning sickness, didn't throw up much. I just kind of live in life. This is good. Like the baby John is doing well. And then here's Mary. Mary gets his news. Gabriel visits Mary. Mary goes, it says, it says that Mary, uh, verse 39, at that time Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea. Sometimes we read this and we're like, oh, yeah, you know, all these people in old times, like, when you look at a map, it's like tiny, tiny little country. So she just hurried and, and, and went next door to her, her, her auntie Elizabeth. That's not what she did. It's like 100 miles that she had to go from Nazareth to the hill country. That means she's going over the river and through the woods to grandmother's house we go. That's where she's going. She's got, some people said that she had to go over several hilly mountain ranges in order to get there, 100 miles. They said it took over a week for her to get there. And so here's teenage, 14, 15-year-old Virgin Mary, and she hurries to go to Auntie Elizabeth. Why does she hurry to go? I'm not sure why she will, will, will maybe we'll speculate later. But she hurries to go to Elizabeth, and so Elizabeth is just chilling, waiting for her child to come, and Mary knocks on the door. And Mary's like, Elizabeth, I heard that you're pregnant. I heard that you're pregnant. I'm so excited for you. I got news for you. I'm pregnant too. Think about being Elizabeth. You're like 60 years old and you're pregnant. And here comes Mary, your young, 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 young niece. And she comes and she's like, guess what? I'm pregnant. Elizabeth, like, you? Like, you young thing? You, you married? You're not married yet either. What's wrong with you? Are you kidding me? Look. Look at me. I'm 60 years. We did it right. We did it right. I got married. My, my man's a priest. My daddy's a priest. Grandpa's a priest. Everybody's a priest. I'm from the line of Aaron. We come from the line of priests. I married the right dude. I was the right person. We're righteous. We're praying, praying, praying. You didn't even pray for that baby probably because you ain't even married. Like, how'd you get that? Everything could have been going great in her life. And then she sees Mary doing that. She could have been like that. I, I, maybe I'd be like that. How does, how does Elizabeth really respond, though? Don't think that's how she, she didn't really respond that way. How did she respond? Look what it says in verse 42. In a loud voice, okay, like Patsy, in a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women. Blessed is a child you'll bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? She's rejoicing. She's celebrating. She's, she's more excited about the birth of Mary's child than she is about the birth of her own. That's wise. She understands what it means to rejoice with those who rejoice, to mourn with those who mourn. I have a classmate from college. She's like 44 years old now. She's still single. And she's, very, she's a salty single woman. We'll call her Salty Susan. We'll call her Susan, just so that you remember. Single Susan, salty, very angry, very angry. Hey, what's going on? Nothing. How's life? 
stinks. Why? Ain't got no man. That's how, that's how salty Susan is. So he's salty Susan, upset about life, mad about life. There's another girl. We knew her, ran in the same circles. Uh, we'll, call her, we'll call her Diane. Call her Diane because Diane was, I mean, she's a sweet person. She had a pastoral lineage. She, her, both her siblings are in the ministry. Um, here's Diane, a uh, sweet girl, but Diane was in a bad marriage. She was abused. She was cheated on, and so she ended up getting a divorce. Very sad, very difficult, but biblically justifiable because there was infidelity. And so here's Diane. Diane has been divorced. In time, uh, very, very difficult, traumatic experience for Diane. Uh, in time, she meets another man, and she ends up getting married. So I remember, like, hanging out. I don't go up to see my classmates much, but one time I went up to, uh, back up to Virginia, and we're hanging out and talking, and, and Salty Susan was very salty, and this is what she said. I, don't, I, I think she was joking, but it was kind of like it, it, there was a cynical cynicism in it. She said, how come Diane gets to get married twice, and I've been married zero times? That's what she said. Maybe you've got friends like that. Tough people to be friends with. Remember when, uh, when Olive and I were trying to start a family soon after we were married, and I won't go into great detail, but um, God's timetable was a lot different than ours, as many of us have come to realize. But during a part of, uh, part of our, our marriage where we wanted to have children and it wasn't happening at that time, there were people who mourned with us while we were mourning. And that was a bomb for our soul. And at the time that Olive uh, did get pregnant with our first, with Manny, uh, there were others who were pregnant at the time as well, within like four months front and back, and there were several people like that. And I remember there was one, uh, one sister who had been, one couple that had, uh, that had conceived and one sister who was pregnant a few months before us. And when uh, we told them the news that we were pregnant, um, the mom started, the, the lady started crying. And afterwards she said, I was more happy for you guys that you were pregnant than when we found out that we were pregnant. I can't tell you how impactful and how powerful that statement was. I was more happy when you guys found out, when I found out that you guys were expecting a child than when we found out that we were expecting a child. Because that's what wisdom does. It understands that if I rejoice in the joys of other people, then my joy actually increases. If my joy level is contained to what's going on in my own life, then I limit the amount of joy that I can have. But when I rejoice with those who rejoice, joy multiplies in itself. And when I mourn with those who mourn, then the mourning gets divided. And that's what Elizabeth understood. That instead of saying, hey, you know what, I was super excited about John, but hey, you know what, Jesus is much better. She understood that I will rejoice with you, Mary, as you rejoice, and in so doing, my joy increases as well. That's wisdom. Can you rejoice with those who rejoice? Can you mourn with those who mourn? Could it be said of you, by those closest to you, that person is wise? Because wisdom is as wisdom does, first thing. Second thing that we see from wisdom 201 in the life of Elizabeth, wisdom in the face of comparison is this. Here's wisdom, okay? Wisdom is knowing where true joy is really found. 
Wisdom is knowing where true joy is really found. Have you ever played those games where you were a kid, or maybe you're an adult, I don't know, you're an adult and you like to play kids' games, but you, you, you've lost something, or you're looking for something, or, or your, your friend has a present for you, and you're like, uh, what is it? Give it to me, give it to me. They're like, um, I hit it. <laughs> you hit it? What do you mean you hit it? Yeah, we're going to play a game. And how do you play the game? Well, you start looking for it, right? You start looking for it, and as you get closer to it, they say you're getting what? Hot, okay? You're getting hot. You're getting warmer, you're getting warmer, you're getting warm. Oh, you're going to burn yourself. Don't touch it. You found it, right? And then when you're getting further away from it, if it's under the Christmas tree and you're going into the emergency exit where Patsy was hanging out, you're going back that way. You're like, oh, I don't see it. They say, you're getting cold. You're getting cold. You're getting colder. You ever played games like that? Well, here's the thing. All of us in life are looking for the things that are going to give us joy. And the world is screaming at us that this is where you need to go to get it. And many of us are being led astray by the siren call of the world that's telling us you're getting warmer and warmer and warmer because the voice inside of our hearts, the Spirit of God, is telling us that we're getting colder and colder and colder. Because you see, throughout history, the prophetic witness of God's messengers throughout the Bible have told us clearly where the heat of joy can be found. It is in the Messiah and His name is Jesus, the child who came on Christmas Day, not going to be found in the presence that you find under your tree. Here's the point. Our joy, our deepest joy, is not going to be found in the circumstances of our lives. Listen, yeah, I... I know that. I know that. Come on, DL, tell me something I don't know. Like, I didn't come all the way from Wisconsin to hear you say that. I know you know it. But do you live it? Do you do it because that's wisdom? Not what you know. Olive, my wife, says, you don't know it if you don't show it. (laughs) Do you know it? Do you live it? Joy's not going to be found in your circumstances. Because a lot of us are looking to what the world says. Hey, look over here, look over here, look over here. So here we go. We're looking for a a great job. The world says hot, 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 hot. You get it, and you're like, it actually feels really cold. The voice of the Spirit within you says, you're getting colder, you're getting colder. Get more money. Okay, have a dude around your arm. Have a girl around your arm. She got to look like this. You got to do... Your joy is not going to be found in your circumstances. You remember the, the Jamaican bobsled team from Cool Runnings? They said, listen, if, you don't ha- if you're not happy without a gold medal, you're not going to be happy with a gold medal. That's some profound truth from the world of Hollywood. They don't tell you many things that are true, but that's a deep theological truth. If you ain't happy without it, you're not going to be happy with it. Not at a deep level, not for long. Maybe momentarily, yeah. Maybe for a spurt, yeah. Maybe for a short period of time, yeah. But that's not where joy is to be found. Think about this. Listen, I'm not even talking about one. You've got to get the right one, then you'll be happy. That's not, that's not even what it's saying. Even the best ones. Think about this. Here's John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist. JTB. That's what they called him back in his rapper days. JTB. Okay, he, he was the man. The Jesus, Jesus, okay? No truer witness. Jesus says, listen. Amongst people born to women, there's no one greater than John the Baptist. Okay, so how's that working out for you, Elizabeth? Here's Elizabeth. Imagine you being Elizabeth. Let me set this up. The other day, I was driving with my boy Elijah, 
and he likes these, uh, these uh, shrimp prawn crackers that you get at the Korean market called seokang. He likes it. If you've never had it, you're not going to like it. If you've been around it, but you've never tasted it, you're not going to like it. It smells like feet, but it tastes pretty good, all right? So here, he loves his prawn crackers, okay? Now, sales of prawn crackers are going to decrease because you're like, smell like feet, don't want anymore. But here, he's eating his prawn crackers. He, he ate them all, and he's like, you know what, Daddy? I asked Mommy to buy me three bags of seokang next time she goes to Lotte. I said, that's great. He said, I'm not sure if Mommy's going to buy me three bags. I said, why not? Like, I don't know. I said, Elijah, I think she's going to buy you three bags of crackers that you want. I think she's going to do it. He said, okay. I said, do you know why? He said, why? I said, listen, because every mom likes to see their kid eating. Like, every mom wants to see their kid eating. They get happy when they see their kid eating. So mommy's going to want to buy you your seokang from Lotte, okay? Because the other night, we had our Harvest 201 reunion gathering. And it was at uh, this, this one couple, Hi and Hannah Chu's house, and she made pho, right? And our kids went ham on that junk. They ate like five bowls of pho, and I was like, you go, boy, go ahead. Like, you eat that pho. I love it, man. So happy. So happy to see that. Because that's what a parent wants to do. It's what they want to see. They want to see their kids eating well, right? So eat well. Think about Elizabeth with John the Baptist here. Right, John the Baptist, she's like, John, come down and eat your food. What'd you make me, Mommy? I made you... I got you Cheerios for breakfast. He's like, oh, Ma, why do you have to give me Cheerios? That cost a lot of money at the Jewish market. John, just eat it. Oh, Ma, can I just eat? You remember what it says in the Bible, what his diet was? He ate locusts and wild honey. That's what he ate. He's like, Mommy, can, I don't want the honey nut Cheerios. I want the honey nut locusts. Can you give me more of those locusts? That's crazy. Like, that's insane. Who does that? Well, JTB does that. He's like, I want more of my locusts. Uh, come on, we got to diversify your diet. This is not healthy for you. It's just protein and, and sweet stuff. So let's eat something else. John, come down. Let's eat, let's eat, some, let's eat some steak. It's your dad's favorite. I don't want steak. I don't want. Just have a bite. Have a bite. You'll like it. I eat it. He's like, oh, I don't want that. Can I just, I just want locusts and honey. That's John the Baptist. He's crazy. Can you, like, honestly, think about this, mamas and daddies. Like, would this make you happy to see your boy eating locusts and honey until he's 30 years old? That's crazy. That's heartbreak. That, that's the greatest man who ever lived, by the way. Right? That's not your boy or your girl or that's mine. That's John the Baptist. Right, John the Baptist. Well, what about his clothes? Why are you always wearing the same clothes? Like, oh, why are you always wearing the same clothes? Here, here, John the Baptist comes down from his, from his room ready to go to school, and he's wearing camel's hair. Like all the time, the only thing he's wearing, and it smells because he doesn't want to ever take it off. John, why don't you wear something else? Come on, man, we got you the new, clue, new, new clothes from American Eagle. We got you that, I don't know, PacSun or wherever it is that you go, H&M. Why don't you wear some of those clothes? Oh, I just want to wear this, this camel hair again. That's wild. His mom and dad are like, come on, just wear something else. This is John the Baptist, the greatest man who ever lived. Welcome our world. What, what is he here, here's, what, here's what Elizabeth is saying. In her wisdom, if she could speak to you, she would say, my greatest hope for joy is not found in my son John the Baptist, the greatest man who ever lived. Your greatest hope for joy in this life will never be found in a person, in a situation, in a circumstances. You could try all you want, but you'll find yourself feeling colder and colder and colder. 
Elizabeth would say, my greatest joy was not in John, but it was found in another baby who was going to be born around the same time by miraculous birth. My hope is not in that I am pregnant. My hope comes in the fact that Mary is pregnant with a child who would bring hope and joy to the world. Some of you think the problem is because I just, my kids are crazy. Or some of you are thinking, well, it's just because my, my grades are bad. My teachers stink because I'm not in the right school. I'm going to transfer out. Once I transfer out, things are going to be better. You will never find joy in the right circumstances, no matter how much money you have, no matter how peaceful that work environment might be, no matter how great your coworkers might be, you'll never find joy in those environments. You will not. The greatest person who ever lived would not be able to do for Zechariah and Elizabeth what every child was meant to do in that society, provide welfare, provide income, provide retirement funds. They would not live to see the day that they'd be able to benefit from what he could give to them. Our greatest joy is not going to be found in the circumstances of our lives. I remember hearing from one of our folks um, about, and I, I don't even remember who it was. It was a long time ago. But they said w one year during Christmas, like, tell me about how, you know, Christmas experiences and Christmas joy and lack thereof. And, and they said they were freshmen in college, okay, freshmen in college, and they lived in a dorm. And their RA, who's a resident advisor, kind of like the, the, the leader amongst that group of people within those, the, that, that uh, group of dorm rooms, the resident advisor had surreptitiously sent a message to the parents of these students saying, hey, can you send a final exam care package and a gift that you would like to give to your child that we could have them open at a Christmas party? And so all the different parents sent them in. They said everyone got something. The international student from China got something. But when it came to this person's turn to open up their gift, well, there was something, but it wasn't even wrapped. It was just a tin of Reese's peanut butter cups, said happy, I'm sorry, Merry Christmas on it, written in the handwriting of the RA. They said that was the worst Christmas I've ever had, and I've hated Reese's peanut butter cups ever since that day. I don't remember who that was, but that was a pretty stinky Christmas for them. But the message of Christmas is that your joy is not going to be found in the circumstances of your life. It's not going to be found in you getting or not getting that present that you want. Your joy is going to be found in something so much deeper than that. Nothing in this life is going to be able to give it here. But hey, you will try, and you have tried. I have tried also. What are we going to do? If that thing that you're looking for to bring you joy doesn't give you joy, what are you going to do? Right? Here's what some scholars, C.S. Lewis, Tim Keller, this is what they said. Number one, here's what some of us are going to do. We're going to grow defiant, and we're going to get desperate. So whatever it is that you were looking for, it was a job, it was a corner office, it was a relationship, it was a boy in middle school. Whatever it is that you're looking for to find, if you find that, hey, you know what, they didn't give me happiness, they didn't give me satisfaction, here's what you're going to do. You're, the defiant response is, I'm going to get that person or that thing, but the upgraded version of it. I'm going to get the 2.0 version of that. See, you've got this girlfriend or this boyfriend, and oh my gosh, my, as long as I have a really, uh, as long as I've got a really good-looking boyfriend, then I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be good. You get this really good-looking boyfriend, but he's like dumb as a brick. 
saying, this guy is so dumb. He can't even remember my birthday. He can't even remember my name half the time. And so you're like, dude, this is not it. And so you dump him and you're like, I got to find someone who is good looking as him, but smart also. And so you find someone and you start dating them. You're like, finally, a good looking, smart guy. Like he remembers my name. He knows how to like doesn't forget where he put his wallet and make me pay all the time. Say, finally, a good-looking, smart guy. But man, here's a, he's mean. He's so mean. He's terrible. I got to find, I got to find a, I got to get a good-looking guy who's, who's smart, but who's also nice too. I forgot nice. Got to get a nice one. And so you go looking and you find a nice guy who's good-looking and smart. You're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. The problem is every time he talks, his breath stank. You're like, I can't talk to him. This guy's awful. This guy's terrible. And he got like massive body odor. Oh, this, guy, this is awful. And so you go looking for someone who's good-looking, smart, got a lot of all of these things and on and on and on and on it goes because in our defiance we become desperate you say i will find happiness in this life i just need to find the right one your joy will never be found in the circumstances and situations of life and so here's what some of us might do you might try and take that to the end of the rainbow and realize ain't no pot of gold there and so you be you become depressed i'm the problem i'm the problem you know what? Everyone else can be happy. They got their car. They got worse cars than me, but they're happy. I got a nice car. I got a lot of money. I got more money than them. I got a better job than them, but I'm not happy. You know what? I'm the problem. That's where some of us go. Get depressed. Say, I'll never, I'll never be happy. Everyone else will be, but, but just not me. Others of you will go to despair. Despair that you'll ever find it in this world. You'll say, the world is broken. It's a problem with the world. Okay, so the world is broken. See, these are like internet trolls who are always like just cynical about everything. Just devil's advocate about everything, but they're not just trying to be devil's advocate. They really, they really want to just, they just want to bring Debbie Downer to every situation. Everything you go, nah, you know what? That's wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. That's a lie. No good. No good. You'll never find it. This was the experience of the teacher in Ecclesiastes who said, meaningless, meaningless, meaningless. Everything under the sun is meaningless. Might as well just pack it in. But here's what C.S. Lewis says at the end of it all. He says, this is where you need to go because you will not find joy in this life. This is what C.S. Lewis says. He says, if I find in myself a desire that no experience in this life could ever satisfy, then the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. I was made for another world. Wisdom 101, you will not find life problem-free life in this broken world because it's broken. You are made for another world. That's why the writer of Ecclesiastes says everything under the sun is meaningless, but could it be that there is another world? The message of Christmas says there is another world. There is another world. Joy came to the world on Christmas when from outside of this world, from heaven, you came running. Joy incarnate and his name is Jesus. Jesus came to us on Christmas Day in order that all of our disappointments could one day be made right, that in this life you might taste a foretaste of the joy that you're desperately clamoring for in this life. You will not find it in anything, any experience, any pleasure, any person, any possession in this world. But when you lift your gaze upwards, you lift your gaze upwards at the one who came down for us, the reason he was born in a manger is when you connect the child born in the cradle with the man that he would become from the beginning of his life to the end, from the cradle 
to the cross. You remember, long lay the world in sin and error pining until what? Till He appeared and then the soul felt its worth. Elizabeth didn't feel the full weight of her worth when she was pregnant with John the Baptist. She would feel the full weight of that when she realized that God would send His Son into the world and that He would live the life that none of us could live, a perfect life. Who could stand in the presence of God? Only one who is perfect. And then at Calvary's cross, He died the death that you and I should have died as our substitute and in our place so that in our stead, in the stead of guilty sinners, the perfect Son of God hung and died so that when God the Father, perfect in holiness, looks down at us, to those who put their trust in Jesus, He doesn't see sinners and criminals and adulterers and idolaters. Instead, He sees ones who are covered in the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's how God could love you and me. That's where we begin to feel the worth of our soul when we see the weight of glory that came and descended on us on Christmas Day and the weightiness and the worthiness of the one who has been crucified for the forgiveness of our sins. You will never find joy in the things of this world. No pleasure, no pursuit, no circumstance could ever give you joy. But wisdom is knowing. How do you know? How do you, how do you know that you know joy is found in Christ? <laughs> because you'll begin to rejoice with those who rejoice. And you'll mourn with those who mourn because you know that your joy will never be taken from you even if other people seem to have more than you do. You know that you know that joy is not found in this world but only in Christ when you're able to enter into the joys and the sorrows of other people because you know that your treasure will never be taken. You know these things I know, but now you've got to live it because that's what wisdom is. Let's pray together. Let's pray for God to give you the strength and the courage to act upon what you already know. Because you see, sometimes we need to be reminded more than we need to be taught. And Christmas is a good time to do that. Sometimes we need to be reminded more than we need to be taught that all of our hope is in Christ. And sometimes more than hearing, we need to just do and live in obedience. Let's draw near to Jesus for a few moments. Can we do that for a minute or so? Can you just pray to the Lord? Lord, help me in my knowing to move that to my doing, to move that to my being. Let's pray for a few moments, then I'll pray for us, and then we're going to pray one last song as we commit our hearts to the Lord together. Let's pray for a moment like that. Father in heaven, as we approach the last two weeks of Advent, Father, many of us are weary. 
our hearts are tired of chasing after things that promise and promote can't really give what they say they offer. All along we hear the voice of love saying, don't run there, don't run to that thing. Don't run there, you're getting colder and colder and colder. Each step we take back to you, we hear the voice of love saying, you're getting warmer, getting warmer. Until we come to the blazing furnace of joy that is found in Christ. Father, we know, but like Mary, like Elizabeth, in the presence of the angel, we are often afraid. How will life change at the news that you bring to me? What will I need to change in order to live in fulfillment of your purpose? We get afraid, and then you comfort us with words of hope that you will be with us no matter where we go. Father, help us to believe it. Help us to stand on it and help us now to live in glad and joyful obedience because that's what wisdom does because that's what those who follow Christ have been called to do joyfully, submitting themselves to you. Father, we thank you. May our obedience be done in love and may we be able to say that we love you because you've loved us first. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.